Well, hey, thanks for joining me on Two Age Sojourner today. Stay with me. got birds tweeting in the background i've tried to <laughs> i've got these crazy birds man they're just outside my office and they're just going crazy so right when i want to start podcasting we got some crazy background noise typical um so i've turned my mic levels down hey some beautiful bird tweeting though what could go wrong hopefully that's not too distracting as we uh, take our quick run through the doctrine of two kingdoms today i'm reading through uh, uh david van drunen's book um i recently mentioned i read through his popular treatment of the two kingdoms and recommended it thoroughly. Um, I also said then that he has done, um, well, he's actually since then written quite a bit, but um, one of the books that came out at the same year, I think 2010, was the corresponding scholarly treatment of the same subject, um, looking at the history of the two kingdoms doctrine, much more detailed, much more in depth, uh, holds no punches, etc., um, it is very, very good too. I've just, um, I've been meaning to read that forever and ever, and I'm finally getting around to it, reading that together with Aquinas in the background. So I've definitely got my hands full, but, um, you know, it's just a, it's a great book. If you are interested in, I mean, it's a page turner. It really is not a problem to get through. Um, but what, what he does is he just, um, opens up with a quick run through of church history, basically putting together a bit of a two kingdom heritage slash lineage thing. And um, I thought that might be helpful. You know, we've been ebbing and flowing around some of these works um, in previous shows, and it might be helpful just to string all of that together um, in in some sense of continuity um, as we think about really what this podcast is predominantly about, two ages, two kingdoms, etc. Um, and so I'll just, in the briefest way, I mean, let me, more as a recommendation of the book than anything else, but if you're if you're just wanting to get a little heads up on on that or just um, not necessarily by the book, but just want to figure out how this all works, um, let me take you through this quickly. Um, he starts off, the whole idea is to basically go, all right, where does this two kingdom idea come from theologically? What is its heritage? What, what is its legacy? Not so much thinking about reformed two kingdom theology or, um, um, you know, perhaps a Lutheran two-kingdom theology, but we're thinking now really in terms of a, a two-kingdom paradigm. Where does that come from? Of course, outside of the New Testament. And um, as Kleinians, we would say this is coming from the Old Testament too. But, you know, at the end of the day, let's just think historically for a while and see where the trajectory comes from. Um, hopefully, he just kicks it off. He says, um, you know, really, you start seeing this kind of thinking happening um, with the doctrine of two ways in the um, Didache. Now, you might remember we actually read through the Didache, and if you haven't looked at that, you can go back and and uh, we've got a nice little summary and sample from the Didache in one of our previous uh, Father Friday sessions. Uh, Nick and I made a few comments on that, and we actually saw these two ways set before us. I think we read the whole thing, actually, now that I think about it. So it wasn't even a, a sample. So that's great. Uh, there are two ways, one of life, one of death is the idea, and you have this this uh, fundamental antithesis set up at that point. Um, and that continues all the way through. Uh, certainly by the time you get to uh, City of God, uh, you see that uh, taken to its hilt, as it were. But even on the way up to that, another epistle that we read recently out of the very early literature is the epistle to Diognetus. Um, he becomes incredibly important as well in that he shows not only an antithesis, but a commonality. 
um, there's uh, what we call the diagnetian commonality as well as antithesis there. And um, basically what they're saying, and this is that, that quote, I constantly I'm reading it, I've quoted it in like a million sermons, where, you know, they, they talk about themselves as foreigners, uh, those who just really, the, the author is writing, his name is, um, uh, well, his pen name at least, don't know if it's his real name, is Mathetes, which means disciple. And he's just offering a glimpse to the procurator of Alexandria as to what is going on with the Christians of the time. And you just have this powerful image given of a Christian community who lives in the world, but not of the world. So uh, without saying anything more, that's an important um, epistle there. But then you get on to um, the, I suppose, big, um, maybe maybe just on the way up to Augustine, probably Eusebius and his history is quite important in that it it offers, not in that it offers a two-kingdom trajectory, but it, it really offers the opposite. It shows how things went wrong in a two-kingdom perspective. Um, things started to be perceived as a one-kingdom, the kingdom on the earth, the church, uh, and its kingdom uh, in a geopolitical sense under Constantine's reign. And, um, and you know, then that laid the platform, I think, for Augustine to come along and embrace some of these Diognetian themes along with uh, the Didache and, and, and only uh, move that forward in his um, big city of God, um, which uh, we've said a lot about already um, in in terms of previous shows. And I've just, uh, just as I said, f- finished reading that one and did a little thing about that. But um, there you basically have the, the idea of antithesis um, very clearly spelled out. You've got the city of God and the city of man. I think a helpful way to process the city uh, of God, uh, and I mean the title of the book, is by considering Augustine's two cities as less the city of man in the way that we perceive it by way of common grace and more just like the kingdom of the devil, as it were. Um, I think I think you uh, get a better picture of the antithesis involved in, in Augustine at that point. City of man is really the city of, of 666, as it were. Um, and and it has this destiny of hell, and um, and then of course the city of of God is nothing short of uh, that which ultimately um, makes it to heaven in the in the new the new creation, and um, and so these two cities are formed by these two loves, uh, the earthly love, the love for this world, and then of course the city of God, the love for the world to come and God Himself, and so there's no middle ground in Augustine. It's true that these two cities dwell together temporally on in this current age, but it's not there to give to us a robust, a robust understanding of commonality and common grace or anything like that. So in that way, Augustine's two-city concept, um, it, it really leans more along the lines of the Didache. And um, although it expands the Diognetian commonality, it doesn't, it doesn't do so in, in the way that we will see for example, Luther do uh, much later on. Um, so you on you go with um, city of God, and um, and then I would say probably from that point, um, or let's see who does who does. Oh yes, of course. Um, uh, I was going to say Vandrun, and um, basically hop straight to Pope Galatius, and this is in the four ninety, so not long after Augustine, but you've got a very lucid uh, two sword doctrine. And uh, so we've gone from, what, two ways to two cities to two swords. And um, I actually read, this is a very difficult, I, I've just, I had, tr- I had trouble getting the actual epistle in a decent translation. I had to 
scout this random book and very obscure. So eventually I got it. So I read it out on a previous podcast. Uh, if you go and look back on that, if you want access to it, it's a great, um, great translation of that. Um, but yeah, so basically he's spelling out this very clear idea of the church having um, the, the, the power of a spiritual sword, as it were, and, um, and then the, the, the power of the, the physical magistrate given the physical sword. And so coming to a closer sense of what we are talking about when we're thinking church and state and that sort of thing. Of course, the difference there was that they, at that point, would perceive of the whole grouping of mankind as basically Christian. They didn't even have in view anything that wasn't Christian. And so, again, it's slightly a different, it's a different approach to the situation, and we have to be careful not to um, just think of that as immediately, obviously, uh, a two-kingdom doctrine. That's not the case at all. But it certainly stands in line with this uh, greater trajectory and um, idea of, of uh, or, or legacy of two-kingdom thinking. Um, that then gets uh, developed by Pope Boniface, which is where, it, again, all goes wrong. And um, Boniface was, uh, when was it, around the thousand-something? I can't remember exactly the date right now. Um, let me see if I can quickly hunt it down. Um, 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 yeah, okay, so the in his famous uh, bull, Unum Sanctum of 1302, uh, um, this was uh, basically a setting forth of Galatians' two-sword doctrine, except a modification of it to bring both swords ultimately under the um, authority of the Pope. So if needs be, the Pope could, could um, take that authority to himself. And, um, and there's a little bit more nuance than that, but that'll do for now, uh, just in terms of, I love the way he tries to support that doctrine, though. He, he basically says, listen, um, you know, when Peter struck the, the, the ear of the high priest uh, off or cut it off, Jesus tells Peter to put the sword back into his sheath. And who is Peter? Well, he is the, you know, he's the guy. <laughs> he's the first pope. Right, um, it's he. He holds the keys of the kingdom, so he has the sword and the keys. So there we go. A little bit of a, a window into uh, their rationale, and uh, let's just say unconvincing um, exegesis. Uh, the, the other one, actually, now that I think about it, is where they, um, you know, in Luke twenty-two, where his disciples told, where Christ's disciples told him that he had um, two swords, or sorry, that they had two swords. Um, and Jesus said that that's enough. <laughs> so basically, they you know they need both swords. The church has both swords. So, anyways, all to say, uh, some crazy exegesis going on to try and affirm that doctrine, putting the Pope on top of the pile and making uh, him the the head of everything. And we know that had a massive effect though, right throughout um, you know that papalist area uh, section of church history. Um, and then you get into uh, William of Ockham. Um, he was uh, someone who basically um, got, I think he got condemned as a heretic, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but basically started to embrace some of the older stuff with Augustine and Diognetus and went against the Pope. This would be in around uh, 1300. And, um, and he, as a result of all his um, uh, writing and thinking and speaking against the Pope, uh, he eventually... Um, I think he even called, that was it, I think he even called the Pope a heretic at one point. So the guy's got kahunas, what can you say? And he got exiled or something like that. But he ended up just, um, 
just uh, riding against the Pope and bringing almost a balance back to this idea of of uh, of uh, Pope. The Pope's sovereignty and papal sovereignty, etc., and uh, started to argue in much more what we would consider um, a biblical direction uh, in his idea of the two kingdoms, uh, much as it was prior to um, Boniface. Um, okay, so then we move on from William of Ockham, and uh, probably actually just before that, although not directly related to the two kingdoms, is the idea of um, natural law. And there you have uh, Thomas Aquinas and uh, Duns Scotus. And uh, William of Ockham all functioning together there as, as um, uh, very important players within uh, natural law and ultimately two kingdom thinking. Uh, natural law is, is simply, you know, and uh, the reason why it relates to two kingdoms is because it's it's talking about that which can be gleaned from the kingdom of this world and and um, and the kingdom of of common grace. And so. Um, immediately you are starting to think more in line with a doctrine of common grace if you're starting to think more in line with natural law. Um, so it's never articulated in so many words um, until much later, but certainly um, it is, um, it, it's, it's an important kind of precursor to that kind of thinking. And uh, Thomas Aquinas is uh, obviously extremely voluminous and uh, has written a ton, but a lot of it is contained in that Summa Theologica or Summa Theologia, as it's uh, 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 someone has just recently told me. It's more, it's it's better pronounced that way, um, and that's fine. And um, and so I'm reading that, and that is just a headache and a half. My goodness, what a crazy book! But that takes us on to, to what should I say about Thomas? Um, let's see. Thomas basically is, um, well, I'll tell you what, what I might do is just leave out the, the natural law wing of that and come back to that later, just to kind of put that in there. Thomas isn't directly related to the two kingdom trajectory, but insofar as he bolsters natural law, he is. Um, back to Ockham, we've kind of mentioned that uh, again. Ockham had a slightly different angle, but took a, um, a, a natural law position again. And so uh, it served as an important character, both on the two kingdom front and uh, on the natural law front. And then uh, we get to Martin Luther. One, two, skip a few, but doom, Martin Luther, that's where we want to be. Obviously, Luther is exceptionally important to the game. Um, he is the guy who basically brought it together in this first fully orbed understanding. Just a, a million, like you make a big leap from anything before that to Luther. He was incredibly good in terms of relating all these ideas uh, his dialectic was not only with Rome in the One Kingdom idea, but but also writing against the pacifists, or at least the Anabaptists, the ra- radical revela- uh, revelation, radical reformation, and um, and so he needed to show the validity of uh, earthly vocation and calling, and even uh, being uh, part of the state as a Christian, or you know whether it was possible, and he needed to defend uh, true biblical Christianity against all those charges that it was moving into kind of a monkish direction. And so he wrote about this whole thing voluminously and his big um, uh, treaties on this, or the main thing I think would be uh, the temporal authority document that he wrote, um, which he basically, I mean, develops all of this in a very nuanced way. Now I'm going to read that after um, Aquinas. So I'll come back to that and we'll say more about that as we go, but uh, that's where Luther fits in. And then of course he gives way to, 
um, Kelvin. Uh, and from Kelvin onwards, we have a whole other thing uh, in terms of detail. So I'm going to leave it at that. That's kind of your just quick legacy up until the Reformation. Maybe I should have said that or articulated that up front. We're not trying to do the whole history right here. It would be too long. Um, but I, I think probably that sets it up for what we have said already. I mean, many episodes we've dealt already with the difference between, let's say, a Lutheran two-kingdom view and a Calvinist two-kingdom view. Um, just at least um, that we've covered those things when we looked at tuning as two kingdoms with Kelvin, or um, I'm pretty sure I did one on Luther at some point. So just scour those archives and see if you if you can find something there if you want to know more about that. We will come back to it, though. I can guarantee you that much. Um, certainly when I read uh, his treaties, I'll talk more about that. Um, but hopefully that's enough to get us all nice and lucid on a quick little timeline of two kingdom heritage uh, so that as we process this thing moving forward we all are nice and clear um, i'm just trying to stick in my wheelhouse at this point so hopefully this is, is of some interest to you uh, coming to a two-age sojourner podcast like this one uh, this is certainly in in the purview of what, what those things we want to talk about and be clear on together. So bless you guys. Have a good one. And um, I will catch you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.